Uh, please feel free. This is open to everyone. It's not just for the ladies, but for the men of the church as well. It's sort of an open celebration uh, to celebrate with them and rejoice with them and their coming baby, their first. And so there is a, a sign-up sheet at the back table at the back of the sanctuary and some downstairs in the fellowship hall as well. We just need people to, to volunteer and bring some, uh, some, some good food uh, for that time. It should be wonderful and should be delightful. So please remember to sign up for something. Uh, again, back table or downstairs in the fellowship hall. So the Lord had, uh, has made an unwavering commitment to his church when he had said, in the Gospels, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so because of the Lord's unwavering commitment to his church, let us go before the Lord and respond to that unwavering commitment by expressing our fidelity to him through the worship of song or through song, by uh, trusting in the Lord and casting our prayers upon him as we pray to him later in the service and as we also go before him in humility eager to receive his word and apply it to our hearts. So let us respond to the Lord in these ways and, and worship him for his commitment to us and his even going so far as to dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, if you are, this is your first time here, welcome to Seacoast Community Church. We are glad that you're here and we welcome you to rejoice and to worship our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you are here and you are yet, have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are also glad that you are with us as well. And we hope and pray that the Lord would draw you near to himself and, and ultimately to draw you to faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go before the Lord and let us worship. Amen. Church, let's stand. And along with that call to worship, I want to read out of Hebrews this morning. The Word of God says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who, who promised is faithful. Amen. Let's worship. Amen. Sing together, your glorious cause. Your glorious cause, O oh God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray your kingdom come. Till you. 
Give us your strength. Give us your strength, oh God, and courage to speak. Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. Yes, Lord. And Lord, use us as you want, whatever the task is, Lord. And by grace, we'll preach your gospel.
church. Savior of my 
cross laid on your shoulders. In my place, you suffered, bled, and died. You rose, you rose, the grave and death are conquered. You broke my bonds of sin and shame. Lord, may we turn our eyes to the cross. May we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, let this morning be a wonderful time of rejoicing in your promises as we stand in the saving work of the cross. God, I pray that you may lead us in prayer. Lead us in your word, in song, all for your glory. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen, church. You may be seated. I'm going to read to us from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, and then we'll spend some time in prayer. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Jesus, we look to you as the one who stood in our place. We can stand today on the foundation that you have laid in the gospel because you stood in our place. You stood as one condemned. You stood as one who was accursed. You stood as one guilty of sin so that we can stand today in innocence, in blamelessness, in righteousness, in faith. 
We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done for us through the cross. And we thank you, Lord, because you still take your stand today, not as one who died for the sins of his people, but now you stand as one who is reigning over all things, even in the heavenly places, one who stands as king over all things, one who is reigning at the right hand of God, and one who is the head of the church. Lord, would you forgive us of our sins and trespasses? Forgive us, Lord, if we have in any way compromised the light of the gospel in us. Forgive us if we have in any way succumbed to the pressures, the temptations of the culture around us. Forgive us, Lord, for these things. And Lord, return us to yourself. Lord, will you understand our weaknesses? You stand our challenges. You understand these things. You understand all of these things because you were once man and you still reign as man. You are fully man. And so you are able to sympathize with us. And so you know us, Lord. You know that we oftentimes lack strength. Sometimes we lack encouragement. Sometimes we lack zeal. And so therefore you are merciful towards us and you are gracious, abounding and amazing love towards us. And so we thank you, Lord, because you are faithful to us. So we can turn to you this morning and every morning. Help us to stand, Lord to stand firmly in the gospel, to stand firmly in the precious truths that you have written for us in your word. Give us boldness, give us courage, give us strength, O Lord. Even when our knees are weak, help us to stand. Father, we pray. We pray for Barbara. She recovers from knee replacement surgery. Lord, help her to recover well. Father, we pray. We pray for our brother Ted Keith, Lord, as he, as he mourns, as he grieves. Lord, would you encourage him in this, in this hour of sorrow. Would you be his, his anchor, Lord? Would you be his level ground upon which he can stand on? Lord, we pray that you might draw near to him, even as, especially as he feels the absence now of his dear wife. Lord, would you be his strong pillar? Be his comfort, be his hope, be his encouragement. Comfort his family. Lord, we pray for many of those in our church who are also grieving over this loss. Losing a sister in the faith, losing a dear and precious friend. Lord, would you encourage the saints? Lord, especially in those moments, Lord, we know, God, that we have an incredible well of comfort, an eternal well in Jesus Christ. Lord, but sometimes it is difficult for your saints to go to the well and draw comfort. Lord, would you 
go the entire way and draw from your own well and nourish and water your precious saints who are grieving in this time. Father, we pray for, for Paula Bowie, and we pray, God, that your sustaining grace would carry her each and every day through her work and all of her responsibilities. Give her wisdom and guidance as she cares for her parents. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to draw her near to yourself. And we pray, Lord, we join with her in praying for her parents, Lord, for Don and Brenda, Brenda, Father. Encourage them and strengthen them. Help them to continue to look to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. We pray, Lord, for our sister Debbie. We join her, Lord, in praying for her husband, Brian. Lord, care for his health. Give him strength and energy each day. And Father, we pray most importantly for his salvation. God, we pray that you would please, please, God, draw him to yourself. Bring a conviction of sin. We pray that you would use the good works of his loving wife, Lord, to draw him close to you, Lord. God, we pray and we long for the day where we might see him call out to Jesus' faith and repentance. Lord, hasten that day. We pray that you would help your precious daughter to continue to stand firmly in the gospel, continue to help her to bear fruit in all that she does, continue to help her as she ministers, Lord, to our precious children and ministers to those in the church as well. We pray, Father, for the breaks as they continue to do ministry there at UNH. Lord, encourage them and bless their efforts. We pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment and guidance. Lord, help them, Lord, to engage with students and even faculty and staff with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for a glorious salvation on that campus, Lord, that many might turn to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, bless them and keep them, multiply your generosity towards them. Help them as they raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Father, you have promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against your church. So we pray, Father, that you might continue to stand with your church, Lord. We pray for the boldness in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in your church here in New England, God. That you empower your churches, gospel preachers. You empower your saints to continue to proclaim your glorious gospel for the salvation of the lost. We pray, Father, for our country. Father, as we see the things that are going on, the things that are being promoted, and the things that are being celebrated, God, it would seem like, like we are just like Canaan. Father, we pray for your glorious gospel to permeate every single place in this country. We pray for the salvation of the lost. We pray, Lord, for the truth of the gospel to stand and be proclaimed as a great light in the midst of darkness. We pray, God, for a miraculous salvation 
And Lord, lastly, we pray for those who are students, whether in school or whether in college or whether at homeschool, no matter what age, older or younger, we pray, God, that you would increase their mind's capacity to understand and to comprehend. Help them to learn subjects, to learn how to learn, and that their learning, Lord, might be to the glory of your name first and foremost. Help them to use the faculties of their mind in acquiring knowledge and understanding for your great name and for your glory. For you have given to them a mind to understand and to comprehend and to learn. And bless those, Lord, bless the parents, Lord, who are teaching and educating their children. Give them wisdom and guidance, Lord. Even in the times when they might feel like they have no idea what they're doing, bless them. Father, we trust you for all of these things. We lift up our prayers to you knowing that you hear us. And as you hear us this morning, we also lift up to you, Lord, the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the scriptures, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you would, please turn with me to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 26. Psalm 26, verses 1 through 12. Psalm 26, beginning in verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. and the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you continue to bless our time this morning as we give thought to your word. Help us to receive your word with gladness, with humility, and through your spirit, help us in the application of your word, Lord, there is no strength, there is no power in me to do these things. 
I and my brothers and sisters here are dependent on your glorious work to do these things in our own hearts and in our minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I never considered how telling the songs on the iTunes chart might be. I actually came across this just a couple days ago. came across uh, an article that, told, that said that this particular song was one of the top ten. In fact, it was for some time, I think the album, or perhaps one particular song, was the number one on the iTunes top charts in the Christian gospel genre. And, by the way, to get on the charts in the first place is determined by different metrics. Uh, the, how many times the song is streamed, uh, how, off, how much the song sells, or how many people are purchasing the song. How, how about the, the airplay as well? All these different metrics determines what gets onto the top charts. But there was a particular song that was there on the top charts, again, number one, and this is a song by a man named Flammy Grant, who proclaims to be a believer and is also a drag queen. And part of the popularity of the song came about through the encouragement and through the endorsement of another proclaiming believer whose name is Derek Webb, who was part of a Christian band and went off solo on his own and produced his own Christian albums. And in fact, his most popular, or his most recent, rather, album has a song in there about boys becoming girls. And it, for me, at least in my opinion, is, is very telling, not only about the culture, but about even the Christian culture. I mean, what does it say that this particular song made it to the number one in the top charts as most played, most downloaded, most listened to? What we see is sort of a, a compromising of precious, precious, precious doctrines of the scriptures, a compromising of the preciousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you from the very beginning that the way that I'm preaching this psalm is with a very militant kind of flavor. But I hope in the end to be very encouraging, hopefully, to be resolved, to be determined, to be unyielding, to have about you this holy rigidness, this holy stubbornness when it comes to precious doctrine, precious truth, the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. The way that the sermon is broken up is in three different headings, and each heading is a resolve. The first resolve is to stand in God's house. And I think this is the resolve that the psalmist is making in verse 12. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. Resolution, or this kind of determination, this Christian determination, is becoming increasingly rare in the culture that we're living in. As we see or as we hear about the denominations splitting over precious and clear doctrines in the scriptures, as we see Christians and even pastors and churches compromising on 2,000 years of Christian teachings as if the teachings of scriptures have somehow changed in the last decades or so. This compromising with the culture, the watering down of the gospel, the avoidance of difficult passages, the abandoning of scriptural teaching, 
And for what purpose? For some, for the sake of numbers, for the sake, perhaps, of remaining a kind of relevance with the culture. For some, it's to attract more numbers. For some, it's for the sake of appeasing man. It's compromise. Compromise is the reason for the decaying of the church in the West, and compromise is the reason for the moral decay that we see right now in society at large. The psalmist makes this resolve that he will stand in a great assembly, and there he will bless the Lord. He's glued there. He's maintaining his integrity. It's the idea that carries forward from the beginning of the psalm to the end. He's maintaining that, and he's keeping that integrity. It's maintaining intact. It's, it's there. It's not compromising. He's not leaning to the left or to the right. He's not going in one direction or the other. His path is straight and narrow. To maintain one's Christian integrity is to resolve to stand in God's house. You cannot stand in God's house if you do not maintain your Christian integrity. He's made his choice. He's rigid. The world might call it bigotry or stubbornness. We, on the other hand, call it resolution. We call it determination. And speaking of integrity, it's important to define our terms. What is integrity? And some of this I defined in last week's sermon because we saw this word and this theme of integrity in Psalm 25. The scripture's integrity carries this idea of wholeness, completion. This is a blameless person. For example, in Job chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Later on in verse 9, after Job and his wife have lost everything, his wife says to Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. In other words, abandon your integrity, Job lost everything, just curse God. Finally, just go to the grave. Why do you lean on the Lord? Why do you continue to trust in the Lord? But Job, as we know, continues to hold fast to his integrity. He will not curse the Lord. He remains anchored to the Lord. He's not going anywhere. Proverbs 28.6 says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. A person who lacks integrity is a pers- person who's crooked. One day they're one way, and one day they're another way. There's no consistency. There's no harmony in the person. Integrity is a Trinitarian agreement between one's actions and speech and his heart. They're in harmony. They're in agreement. They're in unison. They're playing the same instrument. They're playing the same tune. Right? You don't have to be a musician to be able to listen to an orchestra and be able to tell that something is out of tune. If somebody is way out of tune, you're immediately immediately able to pick it up. Like, wait, that doesn't sound right. That sounds kind of off. It's the kind of person who lacks integrity. But the person of integrity, there's always inconsistency in his life. 
They're unwavering. You could even say that they are incorruptible. It's like a judge is tasked with being impartial in his judgment. So that even if somebody were to offer him a million dollars to judge in a partial way, a judge full of integrity will say no. It will not be enticed by the bribe. Or it's like trying to dig up dirt on someone. Let's look at his text messages. Let's look at her social media history. Let's look at her emails. Let's look at all these things. Let's try to dig up some person and coming up with nothing. Wow, I can't find any dirt on this person. It's a person of integrity. Now there's a difference, a vast difference between God's integrity and man's kind of integrity. The difference between its beginning, its ground, and its end. The beginning of man's integrity is that it begins with man. It starts with man. It's for the sake of himself and it's also for the sake of his fellow man. And that's not a bad thing. Praise God that there are people in the world who are full of integrity, who have this harmony about them, that seek to do what is right, who seek to do what is good. But God's integrity, on the other hand, begins with God. God's kind of integrity begins with an eye to please the Lord, living one's life in the face of God. And God's kind of integrity comes from a changed nature, regeneration, believing in the gospel, having this identity now in the gospel of Jesus Christ produces the kind of integrity that the Lord is pleased with. Man's kind of integrity, the ground of that integrity is moral uprightness, doing what is right, doing what is good for the sake of doing good. Again, that's not such a bad thing. But God's integrity The ground of that integrity is the fear of the Lord. It is walking in his ways, walking according to the commandments of the Lord. And what is the aim of each one? What is his goal? The end of man's integrity is for a clear conscience, maintaining a peace about his conscience, and you might say also a betterment of the world. But God's kind of integrity, the kind of integrity that he is pleased with, the first aim of that kind of integrity is aimed to the glory of God. So that I desire to be a man of integrity first and foremost to the glory of the Lord. In some, man's integrity, while it can produce good and it does produce good, is still abominable in the eyes of God because its beginning, its ground, and its end is godless and Christless. So this is the kind of determination that we see in the psalm. This is the kind of determination that the psalmist is about. He wants to be in God's house. He has resolved to stand there, and there is no standing in God's house apart from faith. It's a resolve to go nowhere else. And indeed, why would we ever want to go anywhere else? Why would we ever want to stand anywhere outside of God's house? I'm reminded of John chapter 6 when many of the people who were following Jesus no longer walked with him because they could not understand his words and because they could not bear to receive his words and finally they walked away from Jesus. Even after Jesus made an appeal, remain and see where I am going to see me in my glory. Remain long enough and you will see for yourself and they were unwilling 
to remain with, with Jesus. They were not resolved enough to continue to walk with Jesus, so they walked away, and Jesus then turns to his disciples. and says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, speaking for the other 11 disciples, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go to find this vast treasure? Where else are we going to go where we can have this eternal life? Where else? What better place can we go, Jesus, than to be at your side? There is no better place in the entire planet. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 84, verse 10. It says, If for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. No matter how pleasurable the tents of wickedness might be, no matter what it offers, no matter how many riches are there in the tent of the wicked, I will not stand there. Because I'd rather be just a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. That is far better. Let us be as resolved as Jonathan Edwards once was when he had said, resolved to live for the glory of God. Resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I meet with, and however many and however great, because there is no place better to stand than to stand in God's house with the Lord. Second, let us be resolved to be uncompromising. Verse 4, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consent with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. I think there's a contrast between verses 4 and 7 and then verses 8 and 12, but even in there, between 4 and 5, there's a contrast being made between 6 and 7. There's a contrast there of two different houses, the house of the wicked and the house of the righteous. I'm not sit with men of falsehood. I won't consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. He says, talking about fellowship. I will not be in fellowship. I will not congregate with. I will make, not assemble with the wicked, but I will instead assemble, congregate, fellowship with those who stand in God's house. It's a question of where is the glory? And the answer is that the glory is in the house of the Lord. It's in the house of the Lord. And that is where we want to be. And so we must be resolved to be uncompromising with the precious truths of the sacred scriptures. We must be resolved to be uncompromising with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we want to be where the glory is, then we want to be in God's house. And if we want to be there, then we must be uncompromising with the truth. A determination to be unwavering in the gospel is a resolve to abide where God's glory dwells. And the luster of our integrity shines brightest when we remain uncompromising 
when everyone else might be compromising. It shines brightest when we remain resolved, when the world would have us compromise our convictions. Matthew 5 speaks to this. Matthew 5.13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. What is the point of a light if it remains hidden in the darkness to be covered up by a shade? But the point of the light is to bright a light to illumine that which is in the darkness. What is the point of salt but to bring flavor, flavor to that which does not have flavor? But if salt has lost its taste, or if we bend and yield to the culture around us, then we will have lost our taste. And there then goes the profitability of our lives and our precious doctrine. It's a call to separateness. Ephesians 5, 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It goes on to say that no one deceive you, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Right? We want to separate ourselves from the things that are deserving of the wrath of God. We are called to be in the world, but not become like the world. We must develop the art of being in the world, but not be compromising to the world. We must learn the art of being in the world, but not running from it. And for some of you, you already know what this is like. You have had or perhaps already hard experiences in the world. Right, for some of you, maintaining your Christian convictions is trying to know what to do and praying for wisdom and guidance as the workplace, say, is promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion and all these things and trying to help you or to try to help you to understand how someone else might, be want, might want to be identified as according to their gender, even if they're not assigning themselves the gender they were born with. For some of you, it's how do you engage our neighbors? How do I engage with them and talk with them and develop some kind of relationship with them, but at the same time make it get quite clear that we're not accepting of their sinful lifestyle if they are engaged in a sinful lifestyle? For some of you, it might be how do, you, how do I stand my ground when I have perhaps family members who are putting pressure on me to compromise my Christian convictions? Recently, John Piper was asked, "What would you? How would you counsel? How would you counsel the younger generation? You've, for over 50 years, you've engaged in different theological battles. How would you encourage those who are younger than you in engaging with the culture?" 
engaging in theological battles that they are faced with now or are coming for them. And I think his words are very wise and helpful and I think apply to anyone who seeks to maintain their Christian convictions. He says, your best, your best preparation right now is to gain the spiritual and intellectual abilities to interpret God's never-changing word in Scripture according to its true God-intended meaning, which will never leave you speechless, never, but always provide the profoundest wisdom for every new challenge, none of which takes God off guard. In other words, know your Scriptures. Try to acquire the skills of interpreting the scriptures. Understand the scriptures. Live in the scriptures. Read your Bibles. Apply the scriptures. This, and I would agree that this is the most efficient thing that you can do to help you to maintain your Christian convictions and fight the theological battles, whether it is at home, whether it is in the workplace, whether it is in your neighborhood. Understand the scriptures and what they mean. If you want to be uncompromising and resolved in doing so, we have to be aware of the things that might spoil what is good. This is what the psalmist is avoiding. Why does he avoid abiding such, with such company? It is because Bad company will rotten the good fruit of his life. If only we could have, say, a container set of fresh strawberries, and there was one bad one, if only the good one could affect the bad, but we know that's not the case. One rotten fruit in a container can affect the rest of the fruit. So in the same way, we must be aware of the things that we might allow even into our own lives that might spoil the good fruit of our lives. So we must ask ourselves, have we compromised in any way our Christian convictions? Have we compromised any way with the world? Are there any sins that we must repent of, that we must confess before the Lord? Have we in any way compromised with the world? Because these things have a way of spoiling the good fruit of our lives. And what is sin but that which spoils the good? So let us be unyielding. Let us not allow anything to spoil the luster of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And the luster of this gospel shines brightly when we maintain our Christian distinctiveness. It is because we are separate from the world. It's because we are different that makes us at the same time flavorable to the world, even if the world might consider us distasteful. This affects the gospel and evangelism. Right? If we compromise the gospel by watering down, by avoiding the difficult passages, by changing our views to reflect the views of the world, then every time we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, every time we share the gospel with someone, we're proclaiming that gospel with a footnote. And that footnote says, no change or transformation required. 
But a gospel that doesn't require any kind of transformation is no gospel at all. And if we compromise with the gospel, we will also be distorting the love of God in Christ towards sinners. Jesus promises to be a friend to all those who come to him. And a good friend is one who cares for his friend. A good friend is one who seeks the betterment of the other. And so that if you have a friend who is a drunkard, and you leave him in his drunkenness, in his alcoholism, and you try to do nothing for him, and even in some ways enable him, you're no good friend to that person at all. The love of Jesus Christ says, come to me and I will be your true friend. And I will help you. John 6.37, I love the words of John 6.37. It says, all that the Father, this is, Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. There's one important word there. And I, well, there's a lot of important words in that one statement. But there's one particular word that is just, man, it is just full of meaning. And that is the word whoever. He says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It communicates a love of such profundity. And what is love but that which seeks the good of the other? So that if you love another person, part of what it means to love another person is you seek their betterment. You seek to help them. You seek to encourage them. That if they are in a bad place, you try to give it your best effort to bring them to a more positive place, to a better place, to a place of stability, to a place of rest, whatever the place might be. And this is what Jesus promises to do for all those, for whoever comes to him. Right? If, you are, if you are given to alcoholism, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Are you an adulterer? Whoever comes to me, Jesus says, I will never cast out. Do you feel like your life is beyond saving? Do you feel like you've done too many wrongs in your life for which you cannot ever correct? Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It doesn't matter if you're a child or much older in life. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus certainly loved us while sinners, but he was never content in leaving us as sinners. But his intent was always to make those who are sinners into children of the living God. And that is the promise for whoever comes to Christ Jesus. But when we distort the gospel to make it sort of fit man's image of the gospel, and we distort that love. And then the gospel is no longer a message of love. It becomes a message, come as you are and remain as you are. But that is not the gospel. So let us be resolved. Let us be uncompromising. And lastly, let us be resolved to love God's house. 
Verse 8, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Let us be resolved to love God's house. And where is God's house? God's house is right here. Matthew 18, the context of which speaks to church discipline, but there we see something of God's house in the presence of the Lord. It says there, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The very idea here is that when one is in unrepentant sin and one goes to the proper steps according to this passage and the person still refuses to repent of their sin, then the, we have the authority to treat the person as an unbeliever, to excommunicate the person. In other words, to separate that person from the congregation of the righteous because in the congregation of the righteous is where God's presence dwells. And in fact, the New Testament will also say that to excommunicate someone is also like handing the person over to the hands of the devil. They now belong to the world, not in the presence of the Lord. So even a passage like this is telling us that the presence of God dwells where the people of God are gathered. Ephesians tells us that the people of God are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 6 says that we are a temple of the living God. Yes, individually temples of the living God by the Spirit who abides in us. But the corporate gathering of God's people is also the temple of the living God. Verse 2, the psalmist quite courageously says, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. We need not shy away from owning our integrity. The psalm actually encourages it. Let us be, let us be that assured about our integrity, that we have not wavered why is that? Because we are led by the steadfast love of the Lord. His merciful kindness is what guides us in this path of righteousness. And as we maintain this integrity, we maintain, we keep ourselves in the house of the Lord where his presence dwells. It is where we see the Lord. Again, verse 8 says, I love the habitation of your house. Do we love God's house? Do we love the people of God who make up the temple of the living Lord? We are the new temple of the Lord, replacing the tabernacle, replacing the temple in the Old Testament. The people of God have become the new house of the Lord. This is why I wholeheartedly agree that every time we come together on Sunday mornings that the presence of God in Christ is with us. 
yes, we are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, which is natural to do for one who has been born again. But let us also love God's temple, God's house, God's people, because this is where we see God manifest himself. We come together each and every week to see glory, to see the glory of Christ as we sing songs. We come to see the glory of Christ as we lift up our prayers to the Lord. We come to see the glory of Christ as we give careful attention and thoughts to the word of the Lord. We come each week to see Christ. If we are resolved to love our God's house, here's some practical things to consider. And I, I walk people, when, a people, when someone walk, comes through, was going through the process of membership, I walk them through the church covenant. And part of that covenant is, you could say, several resolutions. So how do we maintain our integrity? How do we remain ourselves, keep ourselves in God's house? One, we will protect the unity of Christ's church. Right? We will not gossip or slander anyone. We will avoid anything that causes dissension or separation or division in the body of Jesus Christ. We also resolve to share in the responsibility of the church. Right? We will care for the needs of the church. We will care for the facility, the building that God has graciously given to us. We will give regularly and faithfully to the church. We will also be resolved to serve in the ministry of the church with whatever gifts and talents that the Lord God has used, has given to you, uses for the glory of his name and for the encouragement of the saints. You serve and encourage one another, encouraging and serving those families with young children as they go through the challenges and difficulties of raising young kids in the Lord and serving and encouraging those older saints who cannot get out of the house to be with us on Sunday mornings. It is serving and encouraging one another when we have needs that need to be met and for whatever reason we do not have what we need to be able to meet those needs. It's being resolved to support the testimony of the church. It is maintaining your integrity, not only here, but also out there. It's living a Christ-like life wherever you go, in the home, in the workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever you are. There's nothing more precious the God's temple, and the people that make up that temple. The house of God is a beacon of light only when its people maintain its integrity. And the house of God is a pillar and buttress of the truth only when the people who make up the temple of the living Lord are uncompromising with the sacred truth of the scriptures. One quick thing I want to leave you with. We were reading this family worship the other day. First Samuel twenty six. 
David twice had the opportunity to slay the life of King Saul, to take the kingship for himself, which was his for the decree of the Lord. But he never wavered. He never took Saul's life, though each time he had an opportunity to do so. He would not put his hand through the Lord's anointed. And even when his fellow soldiers said, hey, now is the time, now is the time to do it, he said no. He would not compromise. And in one of these instances, as he exchanges some words with Saul, he says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. There is a reward for every Christian who maintains their integrity, walking in righteousness and in faithfulness. The Lord rewards you in your integrity. And as as hard as it is because of the pressures of society at large and the culture to yield, to compromise, what gives? Just bend a little to the left and right when we maintain sort of the, the, the steel in our spines, the Lord promises that there is great reward for those who maintain their integrity. So let us seek, seek the reward that God has graciously promised to those who maintain their integrity. Let's pray. Jesus, in the wilderness you went to be tempted by the devil. You were even offered the kingdoms, even the entire world, if you were to simply bow to the devil. But you were unyielding. And you remained resolute continuing on the path set before you. Even when that path ultimately took you to the cross and you knowing this, remain fixed on that path for our sake. Lord, would you give to us that kind of resolution? Give to us, Lord, more of that kind of integrity. Help us to be faithful to you in every walk of our lives, in every season, in whatever context. While the culture continues to decay because of its compromise of of what is right and moral and ethical and true, and even as we watch and hear and even perhaps personally know of Christians who cave to the pressures of the culture and cave and compromise their Christian convictions. Lord, help us to remain resolute. Help us to say, as a psalmist did, that we will stand in God's house. Do this for our sake, Lord, and also for your glory. We pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Church, as a response of today's message and today's word, let us stand and sing one more song together. Amen. How fitting. O church, arise. Amen. Praise this morning. 
and always. Well, Lord, today I, I pray, God, that you, Lord, that we may boldly stand firm on the foundation of Jesus Christ, only in Jesus. Lord, may we strive to be a people of integrity as we heard today in your word, living for the glory, for, for your glory, God. Father, I pray that you may keep us from compromising the gospel. May your word equip us and provide for us, Lord, the strength to not bend or yield to the ways of the world. Lord, may we remain set apart for your kingdom. And Lord, may you maintain your righteousness in us, Lord, as and may we may we battle well. May we fight well for the gospel. Lord, it the gospel has been accomplished. It has been finished. Yes, we you don't need our help, Lord. I pray, Father, that as a people and as your church, that we may not run, that we may not hide, that we may not compromise, God, the work that you have done in each and every one of us. Lead your people. May we be strengthened and encouraged, God, as you walk by our side. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, the word of God says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.